Good morning, everyone. My name is Dave. That's my mom. Uh, she's here from... Uh, her and my dad drove here from Omaha to be here this weekend. I'm really thankful that they could be here. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at Cross Point. It's my pleasure to be here with you today. I want to thank everyone for being here today, especially if you're a guest with us. We're very honored that you chose to be with us this morning. I know that for some people, it's a big step to take to come into a church, especially if you haven't been in a church in a long time or maybe have never been in a church. So we're thankful that you're here. We want you to feel at home with us uh, and just want to tell you that we're here for you today. Um, The parable that uh, my mom read from Luke 15 is probably the most famous parable Jesus ever told, probably the most famous story Jesus ever told. And what is really unique about this parable, it's, it's one of those parables that would eventually get Jesus killed because of what he teaches in the parable, because of what it represents, God, of course, representing the Father. And basically what Jesus is trying to tell us is that everything that we thought about how to connect with God is wrong. That's what this parable is about, and we're going to explore that over the next few weeks. Today we're just going to look at the first section of the parable um, and talk about why the younger son left. But I wanted to ask you um, right away this question. Have you ever felt like you were in a place, kind of a place where you didn't fit in or you didn't belong? Have you ever felt like you didn't belong somewhere? Maybe some of you are feeling that way right now. Maybe you're feeling like, I don't think I belong here. I feel a little bit out of place here. Uh, Have you ever, maybe you've sat in a classroom and you were sitting through this class for, for 15 or 20 or 30 minutes, and you realized uh, you were in the wrong class. Has that ever happened to anybody? <laughs> Me too. Maybe you felt that way at a meeting or at an interview. Uh, I, don't, I don't know why, but this has happened to me so many times in my life. Uh, it all started when I was about six years old. My mom dragged me to an Avon party. <laughs> and I, boy, did I feel out of place. I, I was scarred. I remember that. That was like... Almost 40 years ago, I still remember how uncomfortable I felt there. And then it just kept on happening. Classrooms, parties, bathrooms. On Friday, I'm not even making this up. On Friday, we were, my family was at a big party with a, a family that they rented out this big facility for kids. And, and kids are running around everywhere. And I walked into, and I'm always careful because I know how embarrassing this is. I've experienced that. I'm always, I always double, triple check. And I'm going into the right bathroom. I walk into the men's bathroom, and there's a young, uh, like, a teenage girl in there. And I thought to myself, either she's here to clean this bathroom, or, I'm, or I must be at Target. And she, thankfully, she was there to clean the bathroom. It, and she, it was a little awkward at first, but she gave it over to me. <laughs> a few months ago, I was at a concert. I went to a concert with a friend to see NF. I'll show you a picture of NF. He's a rapper. We went to Eagles Ballroom to see this guy. He's great. He's very talented. It was, it was super fun. But we got there. We, um, <laughs> he's here. He's laughing because he knows exactly what I'm about to say. We, we get to Eagles Ballroom. As you know, Eagles Ballroom, there's multiple levels and multiple venues there. So we go. We, get our t- you know, we give him our ticket. We go upstairs to the big, to the big room, and it's just full of people. There's ton- way more people than we thought. Most of them were young attractive, fashionable women, which we thought was really strange. Um, And I was thinking about my wife the whole time, you know? And the guy on stage had like this cool indie rock vibe going, and he was actually really good. And we're thinking, oh, this must be the opening act. And this is what the guy looked like. And and my friend turns to me after about 30 minutes. He's like, you know what? I think that's James Bay. (laughs) 
And I was like, who's James Bay? And that's most, most of you are asking right now, who's James Bay? Well, he's much more popular than NF. And we, were, we realized that we were in the wrong room with the wrong people. And so we finally made our way down, downstairs to the pit and got to see NF for about 30 minutes. <laughs> so the reason I tell you all that is because the people who are gathered around Jesus, as he's telling this most famous story, probably felt a little bit like we do in situations like that. They probably felt a little out of place. And what's fascinating is that the parable ends with these two sons being invited to the same party. And I'm convinced that both of the sons felt like they didn't belong. They're both asking, do I belong here at this party? One of them refused to go in. The other one felt like, I don't deserve this party, right? And so in Luke 15, 1 and 2, the first thing that Jesus said, or first thing that Luke the narrator tells us is that he says that tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So the people no one else wanted liked being around Jesus. That's the first thing that Luke tells us. The people that nobody else wanted to be around liked being around Jesus. These are people who feel stuck at the bottom of the social ladder. Many of them probably felt like they didn't fit in anywhere, but all of them really liked being around Jesus. The text refers to them as the tax collectors and sinners. And in the eyes of the religious elite, like the religious leaders, the Pharisees and all of them, uh, the church leaders, you might, th- you might say, in the eyes of them, these people, aren't, th- these people are what's wrong with the world, basically. They're looking at the tax collectors and sinners and, and thinking, what are you guys doing around this Jewish rabbi? You have no right to be here. And they're, they're certainly judging them. And <laughs> what really bothers the religious people is that they don't even have to, these, these tax collectors and sinners, don't, they don't even have to clean themselves up first or change anything before they can get access to Jesus. They just come right as they are. And Jesus accepts them as they are. And Jesus loves them as they are. And that really bothered religious people who really didn't like Jesus. And, and, and here's something you need to know about Jesus. He was hated by good people. The good people of his day, the religious people of Jesus' day, could not stand Jesus. Jesus' attitude, Jesus' message, Jesus' work, Jesus' way of life, all of that really angered religious people. And at the same time, he was a low-life magnet. Prostitutes, uh, criminals, alcoholics, thugs, all, you know, addicts, all the have-nots and the misfits loved being around Jesus. And now I'm just gonna, I want to make a simple observation, but if you don't see this, you won't understand the parable. It's so important for us to see this in, in the text. And here's, here's the observation. Jesus actually tells this story. He tells this parable for the sake of the religious people listening, not for the sake of the misfits. He tells this story while he's looking at the good people. This story's for them. I mean, it's, of course, it's for everybody, but they're the reason he tells the parable, And who are they? Who are, the, who are those people? They are nice, go-the-extra-mile kind of people. They're well-educated. They're successful. They're loyal. They hardly ever miss a church service. Most of them know the Bible better than any of us ever will. 
They have money. They have credentials. They have all kinds of initials after their name. Those are the people that need to hear this parable, Jesus is saying. And they are whispering and complaining about the people that Jesus has been spending time with. They're, they're muttering to themselves. They're, uh, they're looking around at this, uh, this motley crew, you might say, of people gathered around Jesus. And they're, and they're pointing at them and they're, they're, they're saying things like, this guy calls himself a Bible teacher, this Jesus. This is not, why is he running around with people like this? I mean, look at these people. Look at that guy. He's disabled. Look at these people. They're poor. They're on welfare. They probably haven't worked in years. Look at that couple. They're, they're probably gay. Look at that. I can't even tell if that person is a man or a woman. This person smells like liquor. That woman talks like a drunk sailor. These people party every weekend. That, that, what is she wearing? She looks like she just came in off the street. So they're just talking and whispering to themselves. And they're asking, what does Jesus see in these people? What, is, what could Jesus possibly see in these people? And that's the question. That's one of the main questions we have to start asking ourselves. What does Jesus see in people like that? Because he sees something in them that no one else sees. And we're going to find out what it is. You may not see it today, but if you stick around for a few weeks and you're willing to humble yourself, you will begin to see it. By God's grace, you will see what God sees and it will change your life forever. So I have to ask you this question. Why are reckless people so attracted to Jesus but not to the church? Why? Why aren't all the messed up misfits flocking to us? I mean, I can see a few of you in here, but just kidding. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. But, but here's the truth, right? We are the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. We're the church. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. We're supposed to represent Jesus and his authority in the world and... and to, to represent his love and display his love, right? So why don't more dysfunctional, depressed, deviant, and self-destructive people like being around us? Because if we are somehow communicating that following Jesus means being nice and looking good and behaving in a certain way while we hide our flaws and failures, why would anyone struggling with addiction or anything else want to be around us? Why would they? They look at us and they think, oh, those are the good people. I don't belong there. Following Jesus is not about being nice. It's not about looking good. It's about being changed by grace. It's about sometimes, it's about sometimes being completely broken and confessing our flaws to one another. It's about being made new. That's what it is about. It's not about being good and looking good. It's never been about that. So Jesus begins talking about the younger son, and I just want to read the, these first few verses one more time, and then we'll, we'll move on here. And, and this is what Jesus said. There's a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. That's as far as we're going to go today. And, and there's something you need to know about what's going on here. 
When the younger son asks his father for the inheritance before he's dead, that would have been shocking to anyone listening to Jesus. That was totally unheard of. In ancient Middle Eastern culture, that would every commentator agrees that basically what the younger son is telling his father by asking for the inheritance early is he's saying, Father, I wish you would just die. I wish you would. Can you imagine going to your dad some of you who have a father who may leave you an inheritance someday while he's still alive and asking for your full share? Even in modern-day American culture, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> I don't know what kind of message that would be sending. You just don't do that. It's insulting. It would have been crushing for the father to hear this. But here's the amazing thing. This is even more shocking. The father does it. A normal Middle Eastern father would have probably literally hit his son for saying such a, for doing, for asking him such a thing, for doing something so insulting and dishonoring. But the father doesn't do that. He actually gives the son what he asked for. Now, at some point in your life, and you, you have probably forgot about God. And remember, God represents the father in this story. You have probably forgot about God, and you probably thought God forgot about you, right? Maybe God, maybe God has never seemed real to you. you. Maybe some of you, you grew up in a church setting. You went to church as a child. You learned some things about God. But when life got hard, you felt like God should have been there for me, and he wasn't. Where was God when your dad left? Where was God when you lost your job? Where was God when your mom got sick? Where was God when your marriage fell apart? Where was God when the hurricane came through and and ravaged our city? Where was God when my life started spiraling out of control? Where was he? And so we begin begin to think about leaving home. Do you ever feel like God has forgotten about me? I'm in pain. And he's not there for me. Or I've done something wrong and God doesn't want me to find him. Or I don't think I can believe in a God who allows so much evil in the world. I, I, I bet all of us have felt that way in some, at some point in our life. And we start to think about leaving home. My grandma on my mom's side died when she was uh, too young, you know, 62. And I was uh, 15, and she was a huge part of my life. Both my parents worked when I was growing up, and so I was practically raised at her house. She watched me during the week, and I I grew grew up in her house, in her care. She was an amazing woman. She loved me with everything she had. She was a huge influence on my life. And as a teenager, I had never lost anyone I'd loved. I'd never gone through anything hard by the age of 15, really. But my grandma died, and before she died, she suffered the agony of cancer for the better part of a year. And it was very hard to be around her. And um, so I really didn't be, I wasn't around her that much. And I remember at her funeral, it hit me. It all just hit me at once at her funeral and I completely just lost it. And I realized recently, very recently actually, that my grandma's death was a turning point in my life. And it was the first time I started thinking about leaving home. And when I say leaving home, I mean leaving God. And I did grow up in the church. 
And my parents, I mean, we went to church like three times a week, um, which is extreme, right? And, but I honestly started thinking about leaving God, and three years later, that's exactly what I did. Exactly, I walked away from God. I went on a five-year journey to find myself. And maybe someday I'll tell you, but I'm not going to tell you about it today, but that's what I did. Because I thought I could find something better, something more real than life with God, at home with the Father. I've met so many people who've been on a similar journey. I have a, I have a couple of friends who are agnostics, good friends, and they, they're agnostics, and I respect, I respect who they are and, and what they believe, but um, both of them, you know, they grew up in the church, and one of them uh, grew up... Um, in, in a Catholic church and, and confessed every week and as a, teenage, as a teenager struggled with certain sins that teenage boys struggle with and he would go to church every week and confess and confess and just felt guilty and judged every single week and nothing ever changed and so he decided, you know what, this isn't working, I'm leaving home. And he's been, on a, he's been in the distant country ever since because God didn't work for him. You know, I have other friends who are, um, you know, successful influential people, and they, they love what they do, but God just isn't a part of their life anymore. They walked away from God, walked away from the church, and, and for many of my friends, it's because there's some dark thing in their past, some dark secret, and they won't even tell me about it, but I know it's there because they, they ask me, could God, how forgiving is God? Could God forgive this? Let me, what, um, just, just for discussion's sake, what if someone did this, and, you know, could God forgive that? And, and I know what they're talking about themselves, you know, I, I just know. They're hanging on to guilt. There's guilt in their heart. They believe that if they came back to God, if they came home, they would receive a lashing or some kind of punishment before God would embrace them. And so they're living in the distant country, away from home. I have left home over and over again. I've walked away from God. I've walked away from God's protection, from his blessing, from his presence, thinking I would find something better, looking for love, looking for acceptance, looking for some greater purpose. Looking for a place to belong. And in, in, on my journey, I've met so many people looking for the same thing. And I'm here to tell you basically one thing today. God is what's missing from your life. God is the one missing from your life. If you feel like there's got to be something more, he's it. And there are a lot, if you're thinking there's got to be more, you're in the right place. I want you to know that. You're in the right place. You're with the right people because we've all asked that question. There probably are other people here today, sitting here right now, who are are thinking that. There's got to be something more to life than this. There are a lot of religious people wondering that question. You know, I've obeyed God. I've gone to church. My parents are Christians. But I feel like I'm missing something. Religious people ask that question just as much as anybody else, maybe more. But I want you to know that God is. God is the reason. He is the reason. He is the missing piece. And I don't, I don't, God, I'm sorry for calling you a piece because God is, God is, God cannot just be a piece of your life. He can't just be a category of your life. He doesn't just want one room in the house. He wants everything. He wants it all. He wants all of you, and he's ready to give you all of himself. 
It can't just be a God, okay, I'll give you, I'll just take this one step and I'll give you this little part of me and let's see how that goes. That's not really how it works with God. He's kind of an all or nothing kind of God. So I want to ask you today, who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? Do you belong to the Father or do you belong to the world? That's the question we have to wrestle with. Do I belong home with my, with my father or do I belong to the world? The younger son decided in his heart he didn't belong in that family. He didn't feel at home with his older, judgmental, obedient, rule-following brother. And he didn't feel at home with his father who he didn't really know very well, who he felt like his father was just keeping all his best stuff from him. So he decided to leave. And you and I have left too. Every time I look for true happiness in anyone besides God, I become the prodigal. Anytime I look for acceptance anywhere besides God, I become the prodigal. Anytime I ignore or deny the reality that I'm a child of God, deeply loved and cherished, and that God desires me with all of himself, I become a prodigal. Anytime I go off looking for a new, more exciting and fulfilling identity, I'm the prodigal. Anytime I build an identity on something besides God, I'm the prodigal. And I need Jesus to bring me home. I, this, this last week I came walking into the church. I meant to bring it up here. I forgot to grab it. I was, um, but there, if you, on those little pub tables out in the commons area there, there's these little wooden blocks um, that a friend of ours made. And there's these little cards that are sticking out of the blocks and they each say something on the cards. And I I remember, I didn't even know they were going to be here. I walked into church this week, and I came up to this uh, pub table, and there was this block with this card sticking out of it, and it said, you belong here. And I just stood there for I, I, what felt like several minutes, thinking about something that happened in my life about 10 years ago. Because I know what it's like to feel like you don't belong. I do. Ten years ago, I was a pastor at the church Phil was talking about, New Hope Community Church in Franklin. This is way before we became Cross Point Church. And I had begun to build my identity on being a pastor. Being a pastor was the most important thing to me. That was my identity, being a pastor. It was the thing that gave me meaning and value and worth and all of that. More than God. And that really put me in a very dangerous position. I believed the lie that... I am what I do. And that put me in a very vulnerable position in my life, and I actually began to give myself over to a very destructive habit from my past that many guys struggle with. And I don't mean to minimize it, but it's true. Many guys struggle with it, and I gave myself over to it, and I needed help, but I couldn't admit that I needed help because I'm a pastor. And pastors shouldn't struggle with that. And if, I, and if I admit this as a pastor, I'm going to be ruined and people will judge me and, and my life will be over. I was ashamed of the choices I had made. And so eventually, out of, in God's mercy, he exposed what I had done. I got caught. Thank God. And I confessed to my leadership team and I confessed to my whole church. It was the most humiliating. It was just a, a very dark time in my life. My marriage was in shambles. It was really difficult. And there were a lot of gracious people at, at New Hope that came alongside me and encouraged me. And there were some people that were, were really hurt by that. I hurt a lot of people. Some of you probably have been hurt by a pastor. And um, I'm so sorry if that's you. I was that pastor. 
I was. And I felt like, I don't know if I belong here anymore. I'm ashamed every time I come around these people. I've hurt them. How could they forgive me? But you know what God kept telling me over and over again? You belong here. You belong here. There were people that told me you don't belong here. There were people that told me you don't belong here. People that told me you should go probably go to another church for a while. (laughs) But God kept telling me you belong here. They need you here. They need to learn how to restore you. They need to learn how to help a fallen, you know, shepherd. (laughs) You need your sheep to help you. You need other shepherds to help you. And I knew I needed them. Who, who else could have helped me? I mean, who else knew me better than my own family? And so I stayed. And it was hard. It was painful. It was awkward for a while. But I'm so glad I stayed. And, and it, was, it was a hard couple years after that. But God was gracious. He restored our marriage. God was so gracious in my life. He restored me. And five years later, they asked me to be their pastor again. I couldn't believe that. I, was, I never expected that. Never saw that coming. Never thought I'd ever get another chance to obey that calling in my life. And that was a hard decision for my wife and I to make. Because you always ask what if questions. What if it happens again, you know? What if this, what if that? And we learn to just say, even if, you know, even if, this is what God wants us to do. And my church family welcomed me home in that way. It was amazing. And now I'm here. Because that's our God. That's who God is. That's what God does with people. Doesn't matter how badly you've messed up. It doesn't matter. God's grace is bigger. And I want you to know today that you you are in the right place with people who love God and want to be your friend. And I believe that God brought you here today for a reason. I really do. And I just want you to know that we are here for you. That's why we built this place. And we built this with our own hands by God's grace. And we did it not for us, but for you, so that more and more people could find their way back to God. That's why we're here. We're here for you. This is your place. This is, and I'm not talking about the building, okay? The church is not a building. That's one of the biggest misconceptions of the church in our country today. The church is not a building. It's a family. It's the people of God. It's the people. And you belong with people who have found their home in God. You belong with people who know how hard it is to receive forgiveness. You belong with people who know how hard it is to give forgiveness. And you belong with people who have received the grace of God and who know how to give grace. And that's who we are. We're just normal people, ordinary people who have found life with God to be the best life that there is. And in this story, this is the last thing I want to say about the story today. And this is kind of shocking. <laughs> We see in this story that being religious is not the way to God at all. Being religious is not how to connect with God. God doesn't care about religion is not the way. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about yet, I want you to come back. I I would love for you to come back because you will see it. This is so important for you to understand. This is not about religion. It's not about coming to church every week and doing the right things and behaving the right way. In fact, Jesus identifies with the people no one else wants, the people who are the opposite of religious, the people who are excluded from the best parties, the people who can't afford the best things, and the people who are generally looked at as a problem to be fixed. Those are the people Jesus identifies with in the story. 
And how does Jesus do that? Well, the Father, this is interesting, in the Father in verse 12, it says that he divided his property between them. But that word for property actually means he divided his life between them. That's what the original word means. He actually divided his life. In other words, they didn't have like money back then or banks or things like that. The father, in order to give his son all of his inheritance, would have had to sell off his land and everything he'd ever worked for and his family's land that was passed down to him and would have probably been passed down to generation to generation. He had to sell it off to give his son his inheritance. He had to tear his life apart in order to give the son what he was asking for. And that tells us something about Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Apostle Paul wrote, We implore you, and this is what we're supposed to do when we, hear some, when we hear about this. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know what that verse is saying? It's saying that Jesus became sin for us. Jesus became lost. Jesus became a prodigal. Jesus became reckless. He was judged on the cross by the Father for our sin, for the sin of the younger son, right? For the sin of the reckless misfits. Jesus became that person. And he was judged in our place so that we could be forgiven. Not so that we could be good people. That's not the point. So that we can be forgiven and enter into a relationship with our Father. So that we could come home. And that's the only way to come home. is through Jesus, through the blood of Jesus. Weakness is the way. Death, is, death to self is the way. It's not through our efforts. It's not through our performance. It's not through our success. It's not through our obedience. It's not through our behavior. It's through grace. It's through faith in the, in the one and only Son of God who died in our place and was raised to new life. That's it. So if you're bored with God, and I know some of you are, I've been there. If you're bored with God, or you think you can find more happiness somewhere else, it's because you don't know God yet, trust me. It's because you don't know Him. The younger son, he starts off longing to be free from his father. And he ends up longing for pig food. What does that tell us? It tells us you will never find anything better than life with God. You never will. You can look your whole life. You can go to any country you want to. You can have all the freedom you want to. You will never find a life better than what God offers you through faith in Jesus. You won't find it. You're wasting your time. You were made for a relationship with God. You were made for intimacy with God, for a life with God, a life of freedom and joy and hope and peace and power. And it's not going to be an easy life, but it's the one life you were called to. It's the best life you could live. And it's only through grace. So I want to invite you. I know that some of you are here for the first time and you didn't know what to expect. You had no idea what was going to happen when you walked through these doors. And I, I just want to thank you for taking that risk today. And coming and being with us and, and, and singing with us and listening to what, you know, God's word says today. And if you heard something about God today that you've never heard before or you feel like you are far from God. And you're not sure if you went home 
and you went back to God, that God would embrace you. I, I want to invite you to come back because we're going to continue digging into this story for a few more weeks. And I believe that if you continue to come and you humble yourself and just listen and ask God this thing. This is the one prayer I would ask you to pray. God, if you are real, if you are real, show me. If you would pray that prayer, if you're real, show me. God is going to show you something about himself that will change your life. It's something you've never seen before, and it will change your life. Would you be willing to pray that prayer today and to come back next week? We would love to have you be part of what's going on here and, and be part of what God is doing. It would mean so much to us, and, and, we wanna, and we're here for you. So let's just close in prayer, and I'm going to have the worship team come back up one last time. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace that you've shown us in Jesus. I thank you that Jesus taught us in stories and, um, and that he didn't, you know, we know that there's a lot of abstract theological terms in the Bible and everything, but sometimes, God, we just need to hear a story and, and you use those, those stories, those parables to open up a whole new reality to us. And that's what I'm going to ask you to do, God, is I want to ask you, God, in your mercy, that you would show yourself to us here today. That you would show yourself to people who have been wandering, wandering from you. That you would show yourself real to them. That you would show them something about you they've never seen before. That you would call them home, Father. That you would show them that you are better than we ever thought. That you're more loving than we could possibly imagine. That you're more gracious and merciful. And that life with you is the best thing we could ever hope for. We thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you that we get to be here today to be together, and to be in your presence. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.